Today, we have the privilege to be joined by Kyle Snar. Kyle Snar has been a leader at multiple companies within publishing and advertising, including Vox Media, Flipboard, Tribal Advertising Instruct, to name a few. He has a deep knowledge of the digital space, but has been more focused on the physical consumer products as of late, and really has combined those two. Uh, in his latest company, which is Worn and Wound, where he is head of partnerships. Some topics we're going to cover today. Authenticity and transparency. What does that mean? User understanding and testing. How to do that. Disrupting a traditionally difficult market like luxury goods. And brand enthusiasts. What are they and how to leverage them for your brand? Let's learn together. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, how's it going? Glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me on the uh, podcast, man. Yeah, we go way back. It's really good to see you. Absolutely. What it's been, man, we probably met each other 12, 13 years ago, oh, maybe more. Yeah. I think it's been longer. <laughs> oh, wow. Right on. Yeah. Oh, geez, we're getting old. Um, for those unfamiliar with Worn and Wound, that's your, your current gig. Would you mind giving an overview of what that is? Sure. No problem. So yeah, I am the head of partnerships for a digital publication focused on the watch industry. And so I... You know, I actually came across this company probably about the time you and I met. I was running a pitch for the redesign of a website of a very, very kind of expensive watch brand. And in order to win that pitch, I had to study up a ton on watch the watch industry. And in the process of doing that kind of research, I came across a website that was a very fledgling website called Worn and Wound. What I loved about it at the time is that they were really focused on um, not the luxury end of the watch world, but a far more, what we like to say, approachable side of the watch world. And this was really kind of, I, I really liked the way that they shot their photography. You know, watch photography for, for decades have, has been glossy, you know, a, a floating watch on a bat, black background. And these guys shot sure. their watches in natural light. And made them look really more uh, uh, just accessible. And this was my jam. I kind of learned that this is, I have an interest in watches through that pitch, which I won. Just going to go ahead and say that. Um, <laughs> won the pitch and, and kind of got an interest in watches through this. And then this was, this was my go-to resource for figuring out watches that could, A, fit my budget. B, I think, be a unique offering in, this, in the world of, like, you know, very kind of specific watches that people gravitate toward have something different on my wrist. Yeah. And I was very fortunate that, um, you know, I started a small company of my own and these were the first two people I reached out to just to kind of get some feedback on. And they immediately were like, Hey, that's a great product. We'll put it in our shop. And they were my first retailer as they had started their own e-commerce, uh, portion of their website Mm -hmm. And then invited me um, after a bit to start kind of freelance consulting for them on some branding and positioning, which I'm sure we can get into. And then I've been, uh, was invited uh, early last year, early 22, 2022 to join their team full time. And it's been a wild and fun ride ever since. That's awesome. One of, yeah. one of my first questions was, who's the audience? And yeah. it sounds like you. Correct. Yes. <laughs> uh, active, active reader and, and, and listener. So yeah, so Worn and Wound as a, as a um, watch publication that's focusing on, like I said, the approachable end of the watch market, they have really cultivated 
a, a product enthusiast audience, right? So of course their product, the product that's at the center of these enthusiasts lives is a watch. But what we're kind of learning is, and learning a lot more as I've been here and we've started kind of expanding some of the things that we feel like we have a permission slip to talk about and sell to them. These are gear and product enthusiasts full stop. And um, we've kind of done some work. So, so the readers, the listeners of their podcast, the um, followers of their YouTube channel and their social media uh, channels, these individuals, we've kind of developed our own, you know, this happens all the time, but our own little name on how we kind of think about our audience and how we also set them apart from our competitors' audiences. And we refer to our audience as the savvy consumer. Um, excuse me, let me back that up. We refer to our, our, our audience as the savvy enthusiast. And so we call them the savvy enthusiast because, yes, they are product enthusiasts and, and they care deeply about this thing, but they're extremely savvy. And I love the word savvy because it technically has three kind of definitions or synonyms. Um, savvy, mm -hmm. first and foremost, means knowledgeable. The, this audience is insanely knowledgeable about watches. They want to know all the details. They want to know all the specs. They want to know where it's made, what it's made from, who made it. And all of these things are a mission critical part of making a purchase decision. They're savvy in terms of budget. So they are not necessarily looking for a deal, but they do care deeply that the value of what they're paying is worth the money they're paying. And they've done enough research to know what that is. So they are savvy consumers. And then the last yeah. kind of synonym or definition of savvy means sharp. And these, these guys are sharp and guys and gals, I should say, they care deeply about their, not just their watch on their wrist, but they care deeply about their choice of all their kit. Let's say their apparel, their other gear, their footwear, their, their bags, and all of the things that they kind of surround themselves with. They care deeply that, that those things kind of match aesthetically or match philosophically and kind of go together. So they're, so that's why we refer to them as the savvy enthusiast. That makes a lot of sense. And when I, when I first heard enthusiast, mm -hmm. my first thing in my head was influencer, you know, someone that does talk about product a lot, uh, has an audience, uh, maybe uses that product in whatever environment. This sounds a little different. Um, what do you just think the differences are or how can you sure. highlight that? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, influencer is definitely a term that marketers are hearing a lot about and, and yeah. paying a lot of money to regularly. Um, it's, I think that an influencer can be an enthusiast, but an enthusiast doesn't necessarily have to be an influencer, but both play important roles in, especially a product marketing or, pro or product centered um service like like a like a publication that reviews watches right yeah. um so i think for me like an influencer is obviously that's kind of a loaded term these days an influencer yeah. can be someone who is a paid professional spokesperson basically or they can just be someone who is an evangelist of your brand and an evangelist of, a, of an industry and you can tap into them in a more organic and less paid sense but they're still influential in what they do and who follow with and with who follows them. Mm -hmm. But enthusiasts are a little bit different, right? Enthusiasts, it almost, they transcend the, the transaction, right? Like they're, they're in it because they have a true and real passion for 
the thing that they're enthusiastic about. They, they could be an auto enthusiast, an outdoor enthusiast. I suppose there could be like cook. I'm sure there's cooking enthusiasts and photography enthusiasts. Yeah. And all every podcast every single enthusiasts. yeah podcast <laughs> enthusiasts. Let's bring it on. Audio Mike files for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So so I think what it is is finding it's it's learning as a as a product company where to find who and where those enthusiasts yeah. are 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 grouping and what and what who are maybe some some publications and or influencers who can exert energy to sway them right so yeah. in a lot of ways worn and wound is an influencer an influencer to enthusiasts right yeah um you know we've done the research to know that 49 percent of our audience has purchased a watch based on a worn and wound recommendation and you know that's not hmm. that's that's a lot when you start thinking about the hundreds and thousands of you know, monthly followers and, and readers and, and listeners that we have. So I would say that, that enthusiasts are a secret weapon in the product world. You can, I think there's plenty of product companies who go along their entire lifespan and have ever, maybe never ever invested in finding their, the enthusiasts in their, in their industry and, and speaking to them in the right way. You know, I think, I think, it's a really interesting scenario where like plenty of companies probably very successfully have done, have, have, have maybe gone their, the whole span of their company's existence without maybe even speaking to uh, directly to an enthusiast. Right. But when you do, you unlock a new level of authenticity of very, very passionate buyers, but then it's, they, you also unlock the ability to, to turn that enthusiast into, uh, let's say, a lowercase i influencer for you, and maybe some cases an, a capital I influencer. Yeah. Can I ask where where you found success in identifying, or how you've gone about finding success in terms of identifying those sure. enthusiasts and finding them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, for particularly for worn and wound, they um, found a very important uh, opening in the in the watch industry space that wasn't being filled. So that space, and it's funny because they're a digital publication, but that space was actually in an ear in real life experience. So, right. you know, I think the, this, this traditional Swiss luxury watch industry world events are a big deal, right? Events happen every year there. People spend exorbitant amounts of money on them and they're typically a massive way to kind of show off what you got year in and year out. And they spend, mm -hmm. you know, they build cities upon cities of, of booths that are big as buildings. Um, what in the, in the more enthusiast space, there were, there traditionally wasn't a space for an enthusiast to get together and not just, you know, talk about watches, but purchase watches, especially from more uh, direct to consumer brands where, there isn't a place to go and try on one of their right. watches. So right. the, yeah. the birth of the direct to consumer model, which is all digitally based and all these great startups around the world who are building amazing products, particularly watches in this case, watches have to be kind of tried on. And, and it's, and if you can facilitate a place where these mm -hmm. very physical items can actually get on the wrist, um, then you can, can create a space where not only are people selling watches and trying them on, but enthusiasts are gathering and you're identifying them. So 
about nine years ago, the Warren, uh, Warren and Wound launched what's called the Wind Up Watch Fair, which became, which has become the largest um, consumer facing watch gathering in North America. Um, and, and it is a place where the, the real life experience of meeting with an enthusiast is always going to be the best way to identify them. And so once they come to one of these fairs and have kind of realized that, that, you know, one and wound is speaking to them in a language that is so, so authentic to how they feel, these become lifelong listeners and lifelong uh, subscribers. Can I, if I can summarize a little bit of what I think I'm hearing, it sounds like the key in in this particular space was creating a a place where a community can exist online through authenticity, through pa shared passion, et cetera. But the key to identifying the enthusiast has been the physical in-person side of things. So you've got the digital interaction, but the, but the in-person events has been the key driver of you identifying and connecting with those enthusiasts. Is that accurate? Yeah, precisely. And unlocking okay. their potential. Okay. And, and, and I don't think that was like said, no one set out to think, Oh, this is how we're going to unlock the enthusiast right. potential. Right. It was more just seeing a need that didn't exist. How do how do these great direct to consumer brands get watches on people's wrists? Right. Totally. Let's fill that. Let's fill that void. But once that void was filled, it was an instant realization that oh, we have something extremely powerful that we've seen here. It's like this identification and unlocking of that enthusiast that in, then endears them to the publication and to the brands that we associate right. with for, for life, right. you know? Right. One, one of the things that kind of I've been thinking about here is just you have the, you talked about direct consumer B2C often, but you also have customers and that you're working with. So you have correct. both B2B and B2C. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. So obviously we have the readers of our publication and who, who oftentimes purchase stuff from our online shop and attend our in-person events. Um, obviously everyone in the company is working to service that audience, the, the, again, the savvy enthusiast. So I'm as head of partnerships though, my job is to facilitate ways for brands to authentically connect with our audience. So I'm, so my cons my customers, my direct customers are um, product brands. So whether those are watch manufacturers or other or, or brands and, and companies that manufacture other things too that want a watch enthusiast or savvy enthusiast to to plug into their brand, regardless of whether it's you know a pocket knife or a whiskey or or all kinds of things that we've actually kind of marketed to this very niche savvy audience. So. Yeah, so my job each and every day is to speak to brands, to figure out what their goals are, and then to create fresh and original ways that they can connect with our audience in a way that our audience will won't reject and will accept into their daily digital lifestyle. Yeah, like you kind of alluded to this. So you're saying um, your audience, um, those that are passionate enthusiasts, are not just passionate about watches potentially and about other things. Um, that's interesting because then you're getting it, you're untapping not just what you sell, <laughs> frankly, but making those connections. That's interesting. Um, yeah, and and I would say you know, um, Warner Wound's going on. It's like I think it's year twelve right now. So like uh -huh. this is this is new. This is like a, a, a true kind of putting the time in to kind of cultivate a trust with our. Um, 
ability to to represent and expertise in, in the watch category. And again, you know, some of it was just a hunch and some of it's based on um, our own interests, but we started doing stuff, particularly on the partnership side of, of, of you know, starting to talk about things other than just watches. Yeah. Um, part of this really was a functional, a functional need. So in the watch world and in other product worlds, the role of, um, the role of a publication that reviews and, and rates a product can get a little shady. So there's, Plenty of publications around the world, especially outside of the U.S. where laws are maybe looser, that you can go out and pay for a review of your product and get a good review, right? Now, Isn't that like half of Amazon? <laughs> no, no comment. No comment. Um, you know, so for at no Warren, comment for me too. I take that back. Yeah, at, at Warren and Wound, it's, it, it, we, were, we care so deeply about our audience that we've really kind of crafted a no paid review policy that... It just exists. You, there's no way you can plug into our, you know, ecosystem and pay for a good review of a watch. Okay, so a lot of brands from around the world do ask us that, and so here I am as the head of partnerships, and I, the first thing out of my mouth is, "Up, oh, sorry, I can't give that to you." So what do I give them instead, right? And so what I can do is I can take their watch, I can pair it with other great comparable products, whether they're comparable in design or use or price point. Um, and then give those objects to an amazing writer or photographer or videographer and have them go out to the world, just use them and tell a story about what you're doing with them rather than a review of how that particular product performs. And all of a sudden, when we started doing this, because this was just literally a way for us to say, okay, we have to do something other than a paid review. What are we going to do? When we started doing content of this manner and, and started showing our watches with a great pocket knife or a great backpack or, you know, even like some other kinds of, of goods, a great whiskey, we started seeing our engagement starting to go up. And in a way that was really kind of told us, okay, not only is this um, advertisement kind of working with our audience, they're like yeah. into it. So we actually went to a point to actually create a branded franchise, sub-branded franchise around this kind of content. So just to let you know, we call um, our, our flagship branded content franchise is called Toolkit. And the whole concept is you take a watch, you pair it with other great objects, you give it to an amazing real person, and they go tell a photographic and, and narrative story with it, and we publish that story. Now, when we launched this campaign, we actually got on our very own podcast and, and made a pact with our audience and said, listen, our pact is this. We're not going to be doing, we haven't ever done, and, and we will not ever do paid reviews on Warren and Wound. However, we've got to keep the lights on. So we're going to tell great stories with watches and we're going to launch this franchise that we're going to make sure you know from the get-go, this is sponsored content. It looks different than other, our, our other content. It's it's labeled properly, but we, we promise you that this is going to be the best photography with the best storytellers, and it's going to be something that, that has value that you get out of each piece of content. There's going to be some real value that you take away from each of these posts. And so we, we, we kind of just put a podcast out there that said, this is, this is what we're, our plan is. We're being extremely transparent about it, and, and we're going to make this promise to you. And since then, what's amazing is that these types of articles oftentimes perform better than 
are then a non-sponsored piece, which is wild to me yeah. that people are spending more time on screen with um, a, a piece of advertising. And then what's even more fun is I often get people reaching out to me like, you know, on Instagram DMs or whatever, just like, hey, when's the next toolkit coming out? And I just want to be like, you know, yeah. that's an ad, right? You know, this is like, <laughs> this is advertising. But we literally have fans mm -hmm. of this franchise because mm -hmm. we took the step to not try and pull the wool over anyone's yeah. eyes. We are being hyper transparent. We're being a very, 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 um, you know, honest about the whole thing. And then we're also just putting the best, best, best creative we can. And you can see the heart in what we're doing, I think. Yeah. And I think people care and they, and they don't care that it's advertising at that point, you know? Yeah. Can I ask a little bit about kind of the audience or the, the user and your connection with them? So you use the word authentic quite a few times to describe your relationship with them. And I, and I think you, you've done something extremely important in the product world. I think authenticity gets a little, um, undersold at times i think we tend to over market stuff sometimes and i think authenticity particularly when you're talking in a community like yours is incredibly important yeah um as we as you as you talk about that it kind of gets me thinking your audience is is, is based around a shared passion of in this case a, a fashion wearable some some apparel kind of you know articles etc which are things that that's an emotional connection that they've made with you, plus the gear that they're choosing. It's not simply a functional thing. You know, there's a lot of things that can tell time and then they've chosen other things. And so there's some identification that's gone on there. There's some, and you mentioned this earlier, some identification that they've bought into that they're going full, full on in. And that's a really deep connection. You know, most product and marketing people would just love that connection that you're mm -hmm. talking about. I mean, that's yeah. a really sought after connection. So, but in your world, it's a little bit different than some of the world that I'm familiar with. I'm familiar with software and sure. your software, you know, does feature A and solves problem B or whatever it might be. In the world of where it's identification, where it's emotion, where it's a little bit more subjective, there's things that change. It's a dynamic world that evolves over time. So I'm kind of curious, how do you keep your finger on what's changing and where things are going? How do you become, how do you still remain relevant? I guess is guess the right way to say yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a question that obviously has plagued this particular industry because, you know, yeah. like bottom line is not a lot of people what wear watches anymore. And right. it, it, it is no longer a necessity by any stretch. So the whole industry uh, has pivoted to this emotional connection sort of opportunity. Um, they've, they've honestly like they have, have in a way, I think some people would think that they've gone back in time with, like mm -hmm. stopped using um, or like the, the really big brands um, have stopped using things like quartz movements and they're actually using strictly mechanical ah. movements, which have right. been around for centuries and w was the only way you could tell time back in, back in the day. So there's this interesting nostalgia slash, you know, like, like return to, um, I would say a little bit of retro, but even just more like just a tangible object and maybe the things we feel like where we want to listen to the vinyl record and we want to shoot, you know, film instead of digital. So there's that kind of trend that is an overarching backlash to like the digital centric world that we live in that surely is a impacting the watch industry mm -hmm. for sure. And, and, and Absolutely, I think yeah. even though the Apple watch is like the, the, I think it's the top selling watch in the world it still is training people to get something back on their wrist. And so you, we're seeing that um, people who wear the Apple watch for quite a while 
and are get used to having something on their wrist, all of a sudden they're looking at other objects to put on their wrist as well. So there is like, it, it actually has benefited the watch industry that hmm. the Apple Watch has come out. So wow. again, it's like, I think there are some macro trends that are, we're watching that is like general overarching backlash to just a fully digital lifestyle uh, where a mechanical watch can be a, a way of, it's like a, a symbol of unplugging. It's a symbol of, 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 of a response and a, and a, and a kickback to, to that, to that macro trend. Right. So that's, that exists. Right. So, so, so in terms of staying ahead of that stuff, I think that, you know, I think that um, something like the big moon swatch, I don't know if you heard about this, but the, the Omega swatch launch last year. So there is um, a, a very, very, you know, huge luxury brand called Omega. They make yep. very yep. classic luxury watches. You know, they're the watch yep. on James Bond wrist. They're the watch, the first watch on the moon. Mega important brand in the history of, of, of horology, right? Um, and they're owned by the same company that makes Swatch, which are these plastic disposable yeah, little things. I remember those. Yeah, yeah so those. Uh, about a year ago, uh, <laughs> they took their most iconic, uh, their most iconic, most expensive watch and collaborated with Swatch to create a plastic colorful version of it. <laughs> and they tapped into the hype beast culture of like this, you know, sneaker heads and, and the footwear world to release it in a very kind of like limited drop sort of way. Um, it's interesting because it, again, we're talking about trends. We're talking about kind of staying relevant. They were able to take a company, a, a watch who is, that is seen as extremely exclusive and unobtainable and format it in a way that was far more inclusive and potentially attainable outside of a little bit of the, the headache of releasing it and not realizing how big of a, of a, of a mm -hmm. hit it was going to be. But what that did is, you know, they're now very accessible because they've kind of caught up with the demand, but when they first came out, they became scarce quick, but um, they still were doing, trying to do something interesting, which was to create an accessible version of an unaccessible item. And in that, I think it was a really interesting way of taking advantage of a trend like the hype beast drop mentality right. but right. also just democratizing this this luxury item and making it feel again another big macro trend more inclusive than exclusive yeah and um it was it was it was like a lot of people who weren't into watches because of this really kind of a big zag when everyone else is zigging started getting yeah. into watches and we're still seeing that now so uh, I was going to ask a follow-up question to, to my original question about who drives trends. Is it more the users or the brands? Mm -hmm. But the example you just gave is really interesting because you talked about some trends existing in the world, whether it be inclusivity or other trends, and a brand then utilizing those trends, utilizing those trends to change its own trajectory and in a sense add a trend to a new trend. So it's, it seemed like a, your example there seemed like both were influencing the trends. Is that a pretty, is that a common thing? Yeah, I mean, I think this was a, I think this was magic, a little bit of magic in a bottle. They were in the right time mm -hmm. at the right place with the right offering, right, right. and it, it it did work. I mean, it's worked extremely well for them. Um, Got it. And I think but, that that's that's a, that's like a perfect a perfect scenario. I think people try and do that, but I think when you when you do step take a few steps back and look at some of these macro trends that are happening, and then what you can do to um, 
again, like like maybe take take a hard left when everyone else is going straight or turning right. It's 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 the right thing to do. Got it. Okay, sounds good. Uh, every once in a while, I've, in the world of trends and fashion and things like that, you see a company that misses the mark and mm. uh, has you know maybe misses the mark several times in a row. What, why do you think that happens? You know, are they just not paying attention, or are they trying to take too many lefts when other people are taking rights? How how do people? I guess you know, where's the disconnect happen between sure. what the users are actually looking for and the brands? Where where have you seen that happen in this world? Well, in, so this world's interesting. Again, um, let's talk about the enthusiast for a second, right? So the enthusiast, one of the attributes I described earlier is really, really understanding like uh, the value of the specs for the dollar that they're paying for it, right? So enthusiasts are going to be those like those those consumer reports people. They're going to really like do their research and they're going to come right. in, they're going to come well armed and understand what the competition has and what 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 you're bringing to the table, right? So I yeah. think an example of this is like Seiko. So Seiko has been the enthusiast watch darling for like the last 20 years. Like people who, you know, will spend a bunch of money on a on a fancy watch. Let's just say Rolex. <laughs> An enthusiast will be proudly walk up and show them their Seiko and be like, you know what? I've got more, like <laughs> this thing is specced just as well as your watch, if not better. And I paid a fraction of the cost and be very very <laughs> proud of that fact right so all of a sudden you have a brand who is taking off they they can't keep watches because on the tables because the enthusiast community has like dubbed this brand the enthusiast brand and all of a sudden like you can't be an enthusiast without a Seiko on your wrist okay like that's a that's like a that this is this is like this massive and it's a it's a it's a kind of a vote of pride to say like I've got, I've got, a, you know, I've got this thing on my wrist and this proves who I am and that I know something that you don't know. So then Seiko, all of a sudden they're selling watches left and right and they see opportunity, right? They're like, we've got cash, we've got interest, we've got people who love us. So what are we, what are they going to do? Well, what do they think? What do you think they're going to do? They're going to try and move up market because they have the means oh, now yeah. to move up market. Yeah. So what they did, what they did very recently is they started they took their higher end brand called Grand Seiko and spun it off into its own thing. And like, let's go big with this. They took our, their mid tier kind of luxury brand called Seiko prospects. And they went up like category, whole category up. And then they introduced a lower tier brand or reintroduced, I should say a lower tier brand called Seiko five to kind of try and continue to like, keep the enthusiasts happy, you know, mm. But they suffer, but they, in doing that, they, um, sacrifice some of the specs for the enthusiast model. And all yeah, of a sudden, guess what? Right. The enthusiast is going, yeah, they're seeing through that. Them, yeah. They're yeah. Seeing through it. It, yeah. it becomes, yeah. it becomes all of a sudden it's, it's, you know, yeah. Seiko, Seiko's doing probably what any company would do. They would take advantage of the opportunity. Absolutely. Right. And the yeah. rise in popularity and try and move up market. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And now that, but they did that at the sacrifice of the, a lot of the enthusiasts, yeah. like, yeah. like, like fervor so what yeah. that's done is it's left a huge opportunity for other for competitors others. to come in yeah. and say okay yeah. enthusiasts they, they they aren't they aren't giving you what they used to give you for that price anymore you have to pay a category yeah. higher to get what you used to get but guess what we have we've got this and we've got this and we've got this and and frankly over the last year you know a year ago i think the enthusiasts were like oh there's citizen that's the other japanese kind of analog watch brand but one year later, because they're listening to enthusiasts and 
hiring enthusiasts, citizens have become a new darling of the enthusiast marketplace. And they're now they're cranking them out, cranking the hits out and listening to the enthusiasts and giving them what they want in place of what Seiko owned outright, maybe five years ago. It shows it shows the, the importance of brands or products really identifying their core users, their enthusiasts, whoever it might be, the promoters, and understanding why they're mm-hmm. their enthusiasts and why they're promoters and, and being true to that. Uh, and it's very easy to get like one little thing wrong, but you know, this is an example of somebody misreading that why and then doing something that uh, alienated that group. So great example. Well, Thanks. Or just seed money. And to try to go up market. Right. And I mean, right. Who can blame really them? It's a good like, idea. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Not, it's it's a decision attention. we probably all make. Uh, yeah. 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 Well, kind of on that that note, like I know that you've been doing audience and user testing and things like that. Like how how do you keep a finger to the pulse, both with qualitative and quantitative? Like how do you how do you do that? So that you sure. don't really pay attention to those those main things. How have you yeah, done that? Of course. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, you know, we, we watch our analytics closely. We have sure. the benefit of crank, cranking out multiple articles a day at our publication. Mm-hmm. So as a mm-hmm. company, like the more content you can get out there and, and watch how it performs, the better. And it's hard when you, 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 that's not your primary product, right? When your primary product isn't an article yeah, <laughs> and your right. primary product is all the other sure. things you have to do. But like being able to create more and more content like content is such a powerful indicator and a powerful you know you know uh direct like director on on just what is working and what's not working um i think there's a way for us to um also see what connections can be made you know i i uh used to work at a publication called called Gear Patrol too. And at Gear Patrol where they covered all kinds of things besides you know focusing mainly just on watches, you could often see what users were connecting with um like if mm. one one user this was true of Flipboard as well. Like I'll, I'll give a Flipboard example. This is a better example. So at Flipboard um which is a company that create that that basically takes articles and then serves them up in a in a, a news app, right? We could look at those analytics and see that, okay, every single person who has read an article about chocolate also seems to read articles about coffee. It was just a fact. Like you look at the data and you can see people who read articles about chocolate also read articles about coffee. That's just the way it is. I can testify there's probably some truth to that. Yeah. Yeah. And all of a sudden you could go to a brand like Starbucks and have some real interesting data to say, hey, listen, you need to invest in chocolate in a totally different way than you have been in the past, you know? And so for us, you know, I remember when I was at Gear Patrol, I had a really similar pitch to Samsung. And because we could see that people who um, are searching for Samsung also read articles about pocket knives. Okay, so people who you can draw an insight that says people who care deeply about what what, um, mobile phone is in their pocket also care deeply about what other things are in their pockets. So the insights that you can start drawing from the analytics and the data is more important than the ana- analytics and the data themselves. So it's all about insights for us. We're always just looking for what's the insight, what's the handhold or foothold that we can grab onto to pitch the new idea. The other thing to answer your question in terms of, of mm-hmm. um, like the, the hardcore data versus the insights or the, or the, you know, the, the more subjective stuff is, Going back to the thing I said earlier, which is creating 
spaces for in real life engagement. There is nothing better than talking to the person who you're trying to get to understand better and to, to market to and to write stories for than standing across from them in a, a place like a watch fair and having being surrounded by the thing that you both are enthusiastic about. It's like, it all comes out, it all spills out and you learn so much so fast in such a short amount of time. So I would, I, I think as a company, if you're, if you are looking for a ways to kind of connect with your audience better, yes, you can create more content and you can watch the data and you can search for the insights. But if you can facilitate, facilitate in real life opportunities to meet with these people in not a, I'm not talking about doing like a survey or I'm not talking about doing a, you know, just like a group study. I'm talking about real genuine ways to connect and like talk about the things and the problems they're having or the desires that they have that for us has been the absolute best way to tap into the needs and really learn what the triggers are to make make product move and to to change the behavior of your audience yeah and that makes a lot of sense you know just getting across the table uh Mm -hmm. or you know coffee or whatever to talk to somebody to understand the real issues and maybe some real opportunities but then using perhaps those articles content and volume to kind of see those things out to see if oh is this real <laughs> um that you just heard or is that a one-off you know kind yeah. of a thing yeah that, that's awesome cool. how have have has that approach changed for you sounds like it has throughout the years more focused on that enthusiast throughout the years, but has that changed since, you know, you mentioned Flipboard and and others, has it evolved? Yeah, I think um, for me personally, just as a marketer in general, Mm -hmm. you know, I think there's, there's brands that have to be mass market, right? They have to speak to everyone as much as they can. But if you can find a way to zero in and really, I think, go for a quality play over a quantity play, I, I think for uh, for me and my and what I'm passionate about marketing, this has been the thing that has uh, I've become more passionate about and, and specialized in a little bit more is like like being able to um, narrow your focus, you know, and not try and be all things to all people. That's like a huge, huge I think uh, important decision make decision you have to make as a company and what your focus is in terms of your product. Yeah, you you mentioned Sorry. Citizen before coming in with with Seiko going out. Um, how how are you guys involved with that? How are you involved sure. with that? Yeah, so so it's you know it's really interesting. Uh, you know, we we weren't marketing at all with Seiko uh, prior to to my coming on board. Um, we had you know talked to him a little bit, but um, fortunately, again, they made a big decision of hiring an. an an enthusiast, and that enthusiast yeah. knew of knew of the power that that, that enthusiast publication like Warren and Wound could really offer. So, you know, we started having conversations, and frankly, they just started they they put some trust in us, and they they just kind of like let us kind of just go after it without a ton a ton of over oversight or supervision, to be honest. And I, it's, it's it's always fun to present a campaign and get very minor minor notes back, you know. And that's kind of what we experienced. And, yeah. and, and what's really interesting is that 
they kind of took advantage of the full offering that a publication like Worn and Wound can can put together. So again, I mentioned it before, but Worn and Wound has this digital publication. They have an online shop and they have these in real life experiences. And what they did is they kind of went all in on all three. They said, okay, we're going to let you guys tell the stories that you think should be told. Mm-hmm. We're going to let you then connect directly so that you can sell that product that you're telling stories about. So instead of having the URLs go to their website, they're just letting the URLs go to this website. This keeps people within the ecosystem, less clicks, more familiarity, you know, yeah. safer buying scenario, a lot more trust. And then really kind of came in as a strong, you know, supporter of our in real life and um, events. And then all of a sudden you've, you, they feel they feel like they're one of us. And it's, it is, it is weird from time to time. It's like they, you can, you almost get that feeling like, like we're on the same team in a very real way. Mm-hmm. And that's always yeah. great to feel like with any client that you have that feeling that you are, you're all on the same team, but they, uh, they kind of let, let us live it. And so have they. Yeah. And so what was the outcome of that? I mean, it sounds like it's gone well, I think. Well, I mean, <laughs> like, like without giving away too much, I mean, well, I would you say have to get the numbers, they're, easily, they're easily one of our biggest clients at this point. Yeah, yeah. And we now have increased the amount of SKUs that we sell on their behalf. We've mm-hmm. launched products for them so that like have like exclusive launches that they are not giving to anyone else. And we've also started doing white label advertising for them as well. So we're creating the content that then may or may not run on our website, but definitely runs on theirs. And we're the, we're kind of the creative force behind the scenes, concepting, executing and powering the, the stuff that not all of it, but some of the stuff, the, the enthusiast related stuff um, that that's out there on in market for them. Right. All based upon the fact that you guys discovered that audience. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and have cultivated that, that degree of, of trust. Yes. Yeah. Trust. Yeah. With authenticity. Audience. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had a question here. We're kind of coming towards the end, but I had a question. Um, your, your, uh, the edge, a lot of your work throughout your path has been in branding, has been marketing, has been connection with the outside world. You're taking a product and really connecting it with the outside world. That's what your current role is all about in terms of the company, the the media company in itself, is that connection. And we just said an example right there where that connection is essential to then the success with Citizen in this this particular case. It wouldn't exist without the other. Um, So that's, as I think about this podcast and this chat with you, I feel like that's a really common theme is this, this kind of this deep awareness and connection with the user, the importance of that, the value of that. Um, when you're going to market with a product and or building the product, adjusting the product based upon what users are looking for. So as we think about, you know, people listening to this, like what sort of advice would you have to somebody who really wants to foster that? Would you have any sort of tips or tricks that you've, that you've seen sure. work really well in your career throughout, throughout time in terms of really fostering that connection with those users? Yeah. I mean, I think you have to, you have to become an enthusiast yourself. Like you have to learn to think like the enthusiast. And so, you know, I, I'm always, I know for a fact that, you know, I'll just take citizen for one more example, the people at citizen, they listen to the one and one podcast and other podcasts. They Mm. follow the, everything they follow the, the, you know, the Instagram handles, they read the articles. They, they really, really, really like, if they if they weren't an enthusiast before before they make themselves into one and so 
you learn when you're down in the trenches and you're seeing how people, you know, comment or like or interact with all of this this stuff, you you start to train yourself as to okay, I got to think like they think, I, you know. And so mm-hmm. I think really committing to the yeah. the enthusiast mindset yourself as is 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 crucial. And and you know, we we think about this it's really easy to think about enthusiasts once again in these kind of product marketing categories, but you guarantee there's software enthusiasts and there are health insurance enthusiasts Absolutely. and there are, yeah, you know, right. like you, you, you got to go to where they're, where their group coming together and where they're having these discussions and throw yourself headfirst into them. Oh, that's fantastic advice. Cause I think so many times I think companies are just content saying we've built a pro- great product, come to us and come mm-hmm. check out our great product, join our world. And I think right. what your advice is saying is, there's a world out there that exists. People are passionate. There often is that shared passion. Make that a shared passion. And then once that's there, then the connection can be authentic and real and do something, have some value. Yeah, it's a great way to put it. Great advice. Great advice. Hey, thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd appreciate it if you could leave a review of the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to help spread the word. Our podcast is produced and designed by Jeremy and Joshua Wold. You can find our show archive and transcripts at productsforpeoplepodcast.com. We look forward to seeing you for our next episode. And in the meantime, we hope you experience some really great products. Thanks.